If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg, and listeners, we are talking about something that I don't know in the 230 or 40 episodes that we've had so far, I don't know that we've talked about, and that is recruiting and interviewing interns. Before I intro our guest today, Lauren Kentelaney, who is a subject matter expert in internships, before I introduce her, let me just do a quick reminder. Our Ask Dolph Live is coming up on February 10th. Registration is live at the website, SuccessfulNonprofits.com. Know that you can go up, register, and you know, in the Ask Dolph Live, you can ask me any question that you want, and I get to answer it for you. The last time we did this, we had lots of great questions, and I just encourage you to go online today and register. And now, I am just so excited to be able to introduce Lauren Kent Delaney to you. She is the Director of Educational Programs at the Carter Center, and what that really means is that in addition to everything else that she does, she oversees recruitment, selection, and supervision of more than a 100 interns and graduate assistants. And if you've done that with even one intern, you know how much work one is. So we're definitely talking to an expert because if she can manage 100 at a time, that really tells you that she's developed a system and a system that works. Now, she has spent nearly four decades working directly with college students, both in higher education and at the Carter Center. And one of the things I want to note is this is part one of a two-episode piece on all things interns. So keep an eye out over the next few months for Lauren's next episode on onboarding and managing interns. Today, we're just talking about that first part, recruiting and interviewing. Hey, Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I don't have a hundred interns at a time. I have, I have three intern sessions a year about a hundred in total. Oh, okay. Thank you. But that's still like, that's still like 33 interns at a time. At least. Yeah. 
That's yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, let me just say, I'm, gl- I'm glad you shared it and I'm glad we got the disclaimer in there and we're just going to kind of leave that in. So you apparently have a really compelling story that you like to share when you do intern orientation. And while I know we're going to talk about orientation next time, I just feel like it's a story worth sharing. It is one of my favorites. Oftentimes, interns are asked to do tasks, write a briefing or something like that. There was a particular incident where President Carter was in a meeting. He had received a briefing that had been written by an intern. He didn't realize that. He really thought that it was a quality piece of work. They had given him exactly what he was looking for. And he asked if he could have a word with that particular intern and thank them. They were stunned. They were absolutely stunned that A, President Carter had actually read it. Sometimes people would say, if I knew he was going to read it, I would have done a better job. I think the answer is you always want President Carter to be asking to read your work. And that's the goal. And if you approach the internship every day that way, it's going to be a much more uh, purposeful experience. When I first heard that story, I loved it. Because I think you're right. Like the ideal really is to write every brief like it's one the president's going to read every single time. So here's the big question, though. How do you find and recruit interns that are going to have that attitude? They're going to say, yeah, I'm going to write the best brief because this might be one that goes before the president. You know, that's not an easy or a quick answer. It's so many different little pieces in terms of recruiting. Um, I think it goes back to the the very, very, well, it's kind of a cycle because if you recruit good people, then after a while, they'll, they'll help you in the recruitment of the next round of people. Um, that's a big part of it. It really, really is. But that recruitment, I think, has to do with clear expectations. So let's unpack both of those things. So when you say if you recruit good people, they will help you recruiting the next round, does that mean they go back to their campus the next year and say, oh, Carter Center, what an amazing internship. You should do one. Exactly. I think that that helps. Also, faculty or staff on campus, um, they know about the internship and they can recommend it. People in the career centers, all of those are great, great places to be. And so how are you cultivating staff and the career office on campus or campuses plural? I think that those relationships are really important for me. I, I worked on college campuses my whole career prior to being at the Carter Center. For, so for me, it's a natural fit. And I did come from Emory, so I already had some of those relationships. But over the years, I mean, now I have working relationships with people at a lot of other campuses outside of the Atlanta area as well. They help when I'm going to come on campus and do some recruiting. When I do that, which is not as often as maybe we would like with limited funding, but again, if they can talk to students who can speak well of the experience, they can see that they got a lot out of what they were doing. It was a good use of their time. Sometimes people do it for academic credit for the internship. Other times they do not. But all of those things are, all of those relationships really help. And when somebody says, do you know of a good opportunity? It's right there for them. And that's what I want. Nice. Now, you were talking my language when you said, 
It also starts with expectations, because I say that all the time about board recruitment, but apparently it's also the same about intern recruitment. So talk to me about those expectations of interns. The Carter Center website has the application and the information about the internship right on the website. It's a little bit general, but we talk about our preferred qualifications. Obviously, the only thing that they really need to have for this internship is to be a college, junior, senior, a graduate student, or somebody who's completed their degree in the last 24 months. On the website, though, we talk a little bit about what the program does and what kinds of opportunities, tasks, um, focus areas that they might be working on so that right up front, it's there in writing. And then when they apply for the internship, they have a first choice and a second choice so that they can see what's kind of a good fit for them. Oftentimes people would say, well, what majors are you looking for? It's not about the major, it's about the interests and life experiences. Are you also setting expectations around things like if there's a certain requirement around FaceTime, like, you know, you've got you've to be here X number of hours a week, or, um, you know, if there's a requirement around punctuality or office etiquette, do you manage those expectations as well in the recruitment process? I do with the 20 hours a week for the internship. That part is definitely right up there in terms of what that expectation is. But the things that lend themselves to professionalism, that's more of what we cover during orientation. Got it. That makes sense. And so how do you, how do you structure your internship interviews? The interviews are done by the program staff. So we all take part in that. So if you're working in human rights, and you would like two interns, then you're going to be identifying those top applicants. Now, it's no secret that I have the opportunity to impact some of those decisions. And because I'm the face of recruitment, I get to do that on a regular basis, whether those are in person. Right now, what's been very popular is uh, there's a career services handshake. It's a piece of software that they've been using And I would liken it to speed dating, where it's broken up into 10-minute individual interviews, along with doing group sessions as well. I think that there, it's, it's important. I do the overview of the Carter Center opportunities, talk about the experiences, and then, again, challenge them to articulate what it is that they're looking for. When somebody says, well, I really didn't know what to expect, I find that alarming because they should they should have an idea of what they want out of the experience because quite honestly we have a pretty good idea what we want from them. Yeah, so a quick 10-minute interview is mighty fast. Like what do you try to fit into those 10 minutes? The number one thing is my opening question, are you familiar with the work of the Carter Center? Because what happens is if they say um not really, other times people will say yeah, I'm really interested in your company. You haven't really looked. If you're referring to it as a company, that's a tell. If somebody says, yes, I'm, I actually, I've been on your website and I was really interested in X, Y, and Z. I know that they've done their homework and they're ready to go. That's the most important part. Yeah. So that's your first question. And that's like, gosh, probably a two or three minute answer they give. So now you've got another six minutes left in the quick interview. 
Any other big questions you ask in those six minutes? Again, what what is it that you're looking for from an internship experience? I think, and why? Why is it that of all the places that you have to apply to, you chose to spend time and talk to me today about the Carter Center? So for the what and the why question, what types of answers? I know there's not a one-size-fits-all answer. What types of answers are you looking for to say, okay, this person moves forward, or uh, this person's not a good fit? I think someone who says what is, well, I'm looking to you know, to apply for law school, and I knew that this would look really good on my resume. Not a great answer. So, wait, real quick, do you get that answer? Oh, yeah. Okay, they're honest. (laughs) Maybe not necessarily law school, but you can fill in the blank. Someone who wants to put Carter Center on their resume. What I'm really looking for is somebody who says, you know, I'm really interested in the kind of work that you do They're familiar. I mean, you know, we're the Carter Center. We're waging peace, fighting disease, and building hope. And if that's not compelling, then I don't know what is. So have you ever had the intern candidate that comes in and says that? It's the Carter Center, waging peace, fighting disease, and building hope. And you're like, okay, yeah, that's good or no? Not straight on. Maybe they'll say, well, you know, I, I read the stuff about waging peace. Or it's like, even if they have a little bit of it, again, that's a tell that they've been on the website. Or uh, on the application, we even say, how did you learn about this internship? We don't say who told you, but it, I like it when it says, you know, I learned about it from another intern or a staff member or something like that. I think that that's insightful as well. And so then they they move from this, it sounds like, to those program staff member interviews. And do you help program staff members structure their interviews or or does each program staff member kind of get to interview however they want? That's a great question. I think I don't formally give structure to it, but I have communicated expectations. You don't cold call people. You go ahead and set up an appointment in advance so that they have time to prepare, et cetera. If they say that they have professional French or that they have conversational Arabic, then I I know that some of the programs might either have someone test that or literally during the course of the conversation go in and out. Again, that's not a requirement, but don't oversell because you'll get yourself in trouble. Oh, I like that a lot, by the way. I really adore that. That's awesome. And so help me understand, like, roughly how many people in this cycle, about 33 people per cycle, how many people apply for internships and then how many people get them? We have more people who apply for the summer session than for the fall and spring, because in the summer they can come, come to Atlanta and they can do the internship without interrupting their academic progression. Now, of course, the pandemic has changed everything for us. And right now we have interns that are doing this, working in other countries. I mean, as an intern, they might, I have, you know, one right now that lives in, uh, in the UK and she's done her internship. We have, I have a couple that have done the internship from China, one that was in Finland so it, it is entirely possible. It's, it's really changed it, and it's impacted our numbers significantly in terms of the application process. 
So I'll be anxious to see once we're back in the office full time, whatever that means, because I think there's a lot of people now who are looking at work from home as being viable. And like so many organizations, the Carter Center is kind of taking a, a look and saying, okay, what does this look like moving forward? But that's really what we're, we're planning to do. So I, I know we said we might talk about onboarding at another time, but I'm really curious now. So someone gets through this entire process and, you know, if they're, if they're multilingual, there's even been a little bit of a, a real world test as, you know, the interviewer might go in and out of different languages. So someone makes it through the process, they end up as an intern. What does your orientation look like? I love orientation, partly because it's the Lauren show, to be honest with you. But, you know, first impressions, first impressions are everything. So orientation is a combination of icebreakers and trying to get people to relax because they, they're, they're oftentimes they're stressed about it. They are in a different environment. They're not really sure. And for some people, it's the first time that they're really in a space with a lot of their equals, people who are interested in the same things people who are as motivated and as committed as they are. And it's exhilarating. If we were present at the Carter Center doing orientation, it's the icebreakers they do uh, among themselves. I do uh, expectations in terms of professionalism. I talk about managing your manager. I talk about... Um, how to make the most of your internship experience, because sometimes people are just there and they coast. There are so many great opportunities if you show that initiative. And, and we're not always going to be able to recognize when you're ready for something else. So you have to be willing to advocate for yourself. So Lauren, I wanted to just do a deep dive on those three things that you talk about. So when you talk about, I think you refer to it as... Um, professional expectations. What are your professional expectations of interns? Professional expectations have to do with dress code, have to do with emails. We talk about our email system and there should be on your email at the signature, you should identify that yourself as an intern and what program you're with. There are expectations in terms of where you can be in the building, where you cannot for example, if you walk into the Carter Center and there are two Secret Service staff members sitting at the top of the stairs, that's a clear indication that you're not welcome to go into the executive offices right now. The Carters were probably there. Professional expectations have to do with how you address people. I, I always say they're welcome to call me Lauren and that's fine and that's what I'm most comfortable with. People will say, now, is it Rosalind or Rosalind? And I'll say the answer is Mrs. Carter. That's the expectation. Right. So I really like the fact that you go so detailed into what the expectations are. As I travel around the nonprofit sector and I see organizations with interns, I cannot tell you how many times I have walked into organizations. I know they have a dress code because I can tell the way their staff dress, but interns will be in shorts and a t-shirt and you're kind of like, wow, you know, not, you're not holding them to the same standard that you'd hold a staff member to, and it kind of does the intern a disservice. Well, and I've often said that you may see your super, and on casual Fridays, you can wear jeans, but you may see your supervisor wearing jeans other days of the week, and 
and think to yourself, well, my supervisor is way cooler than Lauren, so I guess it's okay. Number one, yeah, they probably are. But number two, they already have a job and they're not beholden to me, you are. So this is the expectation. And not only do we go over that, but it's also in the intern handbook that they receive. And we ask them to look over the handbook and then sign it just like the staff that says, yes, I've read this and I understand what's, what's included in this handbook. I was a social worker and all social workers have to do interns. I'm sorry, I have to do internships. And I wish, the second area I wanted to do a deep dive on, I wish that my internship supervisors would have taken me aside or in some sort of formal orientation taught me about managing up. Because I was such a knucklehead as a, as a supervisee, as an intern, and also, quite frankly, my first job. I was such a knucklehead. And I've told the story before, so I'm not going to, on the podcast, so I'm not going to go into it. But like, literally, I think I would have fired myself. I would have been like, no, uh-uh. <laughs> you, you don't understand how we're supposed to be interacting here. So talk to me about, about what you communicate around managing up. Because I do think it's critical that, that people learn that as early as possible. When I think of managing up, I think of that they are expected to learn how does their supervisor make decisions. Some people are much better in person because they want to process through it. Others, they need to ponder. So you should put it in writing and let them ponder that. You need to figure it out because they're not going to change for you. You need to change for them. And it's not just the Carter Center, it's any professional experience. Whether we can articulate that exact moment or not, we've all kind of learned that about our supervisor. Just like we learned how to manage our parents when we were younger. It's, it's all the same kind of thing. And then also, I talked to them about if you are asking for an exception or if you're going to be away from the office, it's not enough to say, by the way, I'd like to take such and such day off because I have a conflict even if they say yes, put it in writing. Don't, don't just expect that they will always remember it. That's a, a, a really important thing. Just like managing your supervisor, if you have an assignment that you're doing, but you're wrapping it up, let them know. Say, by the way, I'm working on such and such right now. I'll probably be done with it by tomorrow, which means I'll be ready for a new assignment. That's so much more effective than walking into your supervisor's office and saying, what's next? And the flip side of that is also, okay, if you realize that assignment's going to be a day late, to tell your supervisor two or three days before, oh, you know, I'm, I'm running a little behind. I just want to check in. Do you want me to make it as good as possible or do I absolutely need to make this deadline and it won't be quite as good? But kind of have that check-in with the supervisor. But, you know, I, I, I have actually known some folks who are like, well, you know, if the supervisor didn't ask me about it on the day it's due, I guess I have more time. And I'm always shocked by that. I just am. No, I, I agree. I, I absolutely agree. And I, that whole thing of how much time do I have, because in a work environment, you don't have as much time to play with. You know, I've often said that when you're a student, the first day of class, you get a syllabus. If you want to get an A in the course, you need to do these five things. If you want to get a B in the course, I'm oversimplifying, of course, but if you want to get a B, this is it. But working, doesn't that's not how it happens. 
there's a lot of ebbs and flows. Sometimes you've got a lot of work. Sometimes you don't have much work and you don't always have, it's not the best. It's sometimes it is a little bit who can do it a little bit quicker and be efficient with their time. So those things are always important. And, and it's hard for an intern who doesn't know at the get-go, what is the formula? What do I need to do to succeed here? And so in our last few minutes, before we jump to the off-the-map question, if we can also just touch bases on um, managing those interns. So, you know, you've done a great job of onboarding them. There's good expectations. They know, okay, this is how I manage my manager. Talk to me a little bit about the actual day-to-day management of an intern. Is it different from managing a staff member? And if so, how? It is different than managing a staff member because I think an intern, they are, they're, they're just taking it all in and they see it all. An intern sometimes, I think that they need a lot more reinforcement. They need to hear that they're doing well. And as a part of the way that the internship is structured, we always uh, ask them to do midterm meetings so that they can get feedback and then end of session meetings as well. So that if you're gonna ask somebody to be your reference, you know what you're getting, not that it's a surprise later on. I'm in full alignment with you and I've always really emphasized that internships are supposed to be learning experiences and that means that it probably takes more time to manage an intern than it does a staff member because there's more coaching, mentoring, support to just help them gain those skills so that they can go out and do amazing work. Yes, I agree. I wish I would have said that. Um, well, well, you did. You did. All I did was summarize it as the host. All I did, Lauren, was summarize it. But it's also interesting because I also think, and I know this does not happen as much at big institutions or bigger institutions like the Carter Center, but I think especially for a lot of small nonprofits, sometimes they kind of just treat their interns as if they're staff. And so like they'll give them two days of training and say, okay, now go be a case manager. Um and that's that's really not the best way to A, manage an intern, but the intern's not going to get as much out of it either. They're going to finish that internship and think, oh, I know case management. When in fact, all they really know is, you know, okay, I got dropped in the deep end and I didn't drown. Yeah, yeah, the huge difference. And the other thing that for the internships, we don't want them to spend too much of their time doing administrative work. President Carter always said no more than 30%. And we really held to that because we want their experience to be really productive. And I mean, we all do administrative work. Everybody does at some point or another. And I don't think that it's a terrible thing, but that's not what you came to the internship for. Right. I'm in full alignment with you on that too. Like it's no matter how high you go, there's still admin work that you do. It's just a part of the job, but let's minimize it. Now, listeners, you know, this has been a great conversation, but I want to hit the off the map question. And I have a quick apology to listeners because this is not really off the map. This is map adjacent, but I have to ask about it. So Lauren, I understand that you regularly do a pilgrimage to Plains. That's true. That is true. Plains, Georgia, um, on a bus, because that's the way we travel. It'll take you with one stop because I've got it down kind of to a science. Not that I have to drive the bus or anything like that, but um, it takes about two and a half hours to get there. Plains, Georgia has, um, I, I haven't checked lately, but probably about 680 to 700 people there. And it is wonderful. 
it is such a learning opportunity to see this place that impacted both President and Mrs. Carter so extremely. They still live in Plains, Georgia, and it it's remarkable. It is absolutely remarkable. And there's so much about that experience that you take away from it. Um, we're fortunate that we've had, usually we'll spend time with President and Mrs. Carter. They would at one point join us for lunch. And then we would meet President Carter out at the Boyhood Home, which is a part of the National Park System for a question and answer session. Um, and it was always fun because you can tell when President Carter is really enjoying the good questions that he's getting from the group when, or when he doesn't have, you know, something booked right behind it. Um, it's very informal. He would show up in, you know, jeans and a Carter Center shirt or a plaid shirt or whatever. Um, the interns always enjoyed, you know, just being around Secret Service, that in and of itself. Um, and Mrs. Carter would do a tour of the Plains Inn and downtown Plains. Again, there's so much history there. So we would kind of, the high school where both of them attended is also a part of the national park system. So there's several different places to go and things to see and to get that vision of how it all fits together. When President Carter was still teaching Sunday school at Maranatha Baptist Church, we would go the next morning and go to Sunday school as well. So it was really the whole, it was a weekend trip is what it was. I have two reflections on this. First of all, again, as someone who did internships, wow, that would have just been off the chain amazing to actually get to go and see and meet President Carter. But my other reflection is you must have done this pilgrimage many, many times. Like, can you estimate it? Two dozen, one dozen? About 40 times. Oh, oh my gosh. So it's like three and a half dozen. Wow. Okay. Wow. And I have a feeling it never gets old. Like every time you're like, oh, this is amazing. It, it's funny because, I mean, it's amazing because no matter how tired you are and it's college students and it's 8 a.m. in the morning that the bus leaves and everything else, there might be you know, it might be hot or buggy or whatever. Nobody ever forgets the first time that they meet President Carter or better yet, that he calls on you and asks, answers your question. Imagine what that's like. I remember I've been working at the Carter Center for 16 years. I can still tell you exactly the first time I met President Carter. Okay, now, I'm sorry. I know I've already asked you the off-the-map question, but you're going to have to tell me that. Oh, it was... It, it was really just kind of a non-event, literally going through the line in the cafeteria. And he was standing there with a tray, just like everybody else. And I didn't even, and my, uh, the CEO of the Carter Center said, Lauren, have you met President Carter yet? And he said, President Carter, this is the new director of educational programs. And I said, hi, my name is Lauren. And he said, I know who you are. <laughs> very, just very, because he had done his homework. You know, you tell President Carter something once and what an amazing, amazing story though. And what amazing experience to literally see President Carter and he already knows who you are. Like obviously you know who he is, but he already knows who <laughs> you are. That's that is amazing. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today. And listeners, let me just share with you 
URL you can go to is cartercenter.org. You can learn more about the work of the Carter Center. And additionally, if you are an undergraduate student, a graduate student, or within 24 months of graduating, sorry, 24 months after graduating, you can also find out about various internship opportunities at cartercenter.org. Lauren, thank you so much. Two thanks. First of all, thank you for being here on the podcast today. But listeners, we batch record the podcast, and this is the last recording of the day. And so uh, Lauren and I are in the same time zone, and it is 7 p.m. our time. So uh, just thank you for being a trooper and, and making it all the way to 7 with me. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. So listeners, if you enjoyed this conversation, if you got something out of it, if it made you think, hmm, I've got some interesting ideas to try the next time I recruit or onboard or manage interns, there's two more episodes I want you to consider. One is episode 151 with Rob Jackson on groundbreaking volunteer management ideas. And the second is episode 111 with Cindy Fallon on how to address the disengaged board member. And you might be scratching your head and saying, Dolph, both of those are about volunteers and not interns. And as I said at the start of the show, I think this might be the first time we've done a deep conversation on internships. So I'm a little ashamed it's taken us this many episodes to get there, but I'm glad we have. Makes me feel special. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Well, listeners, that is our show for this week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. And you know, the lawyers make me say this, I'm not an accountant nor an attorney because I did not go to accounting school and I did not go to attorneying school. This podcast and this episode is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. If that's what you need, please find a licensed, qualified professional in your area and seek out the advice that you need.